My name is Gabe Phillips, how rude of me. I am one of the pastors here at this church, and I'm also married to the beautiful Fiona Phillips. Lovely to see you, your love. Looking good, looking good. Uh, she was wearing a white dress earlier, then had a, a coffee malfunction. She just drinks her coffee wildly, hey? That just the buzz hit her. So it's lovely to see you in olive green. Yeah, the coffee was so good, she just, <laughs> she said, my whole body wants it. But we also, I'm also uh, with, along with Fiona, we are parents to beautiful little redheads called Olivia and Benji, six and four, and we've started grade one this year. There's a whole lot of fun going on there. But rewind a couple of weeks, we also had the most phenomenal holiday. We uh, stayed here in Cape Town, in the best city in the world. And uh, let me tell you, uh, if you are in sun cream manufacturing, Factor 50, the Phillips family have funded your bonus for next year. Because having three gingers, we applied that thing about six times a day. We were on the beach, and we, were, we don't go bronze. We just, go, we just glow red. It's beautiful. But uh, we loved it. We actually loved the beach. It was one of those holidays where our kids are at an age where we can actually read while they play. Maybe one or two pages, not much, but, but it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, and it was just fun. There was a moment where I was watching our kids playing on the beach, and they're building sandcastles, and then the, the shallow end of the, 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 the waves, and just enjoying that moment in the sun and the surf and, and ice cream here and there. Just, we were like just breathing in the beauty of family, holiday, this incredible city. And then I saw my boy start his, his engineering degree early at the age of four processing the dam walls and the, the excavation process. And, and I can just see he's, this man is going to make millions. He's got a vision. But the vision started to fall short when he had to realize that he wanted to fill the little hole he dug with water. And he picked up the bucket. There's a choice of two buckets. And he went with the orange bucket, the cheap one that's been in the family for a long time, that's got holes in the bottom. I've never understood the purpose of that bucket. I never understood. Imagine that manufacturing meeting where they said, let's have a bucket and then let's holes in the bottom of it. Never understood it, but we've bought it, we've got it, and Benji took that bucket, and I saw those little four-year-old legs run into the ocean, navigate the waves, trying to get some water, fill this bucket, and it was in and out, and it wasn't filling properly, a lot of sand in the bottom, but he'll get it, and when he thought it was full enough, he'll get it, and he'll trot all the way up the beach to this incredible hole, this dam that he was going to fill with water, and as I watched this process happen the first time, I saw that water leaking out fast, and his little legs got there, and he poured it out, and he looked in despondently going, there's not enough there. This is, but he thought, no, let's work harder. So Benji went back into the ocean. Again he went, filling it up. And this process went on three or four times. And I'm watching with, at first amusement, but more and more with frustration. With the, with the, I'm feeling exhausted just watching his up and down, up and down reality. And I start to realize how, I'm going, come on, does he not get it? Does he not get that this process is, is foolish at best? What are you doing, Benji? It's, not, it's, it's, it's just so much energy and very little output. And I felt tired just watching him. As I watched that play out, I suddenly started to realize I think that's actually how my life and our lives seem a lot of the time. That we're having a lot of energy, a lot of uh, output, but actually we're having for minimal reward and we're feeling exhausted. Maybe it's just me, but 21 Jan is here and I'm already a little bit tired. There's no like, Pip, let's go. It's like, oh, wow, the year is coming. It's big. Am I the only one? The reason why I think is because we live in a world of outrage. We live in a world of social media, have an opinion about everything. We live in a world where, where it's just pushing us to make decisions, know more, be in the know. Have you heard about X, Y, Z? And that's just at a macro level. I, I can ask you are, you, are you for Israel or are you for Palestine? Come on, give me your arguments. It's like, oh, okay. Are you Russia? Are you Ukraine? Where do you stand on that issue? Biden, Trump. ESCOM, Solar, Liverpool, Man United. The last one's very easy, let's be honest. <laughs> that one doesn't need a degree at all. 
but that's just at a macro level. It's just coming and it feels like we have to be caring and outraged about what's the latest thing and it's exhausting. And then that's at the macro level. Imagine at the personal level, there's personal relationships to navigate. There's finances, pains, heartbreaks, diagnoses, disappointments, resentments, anxieties, insecurities, and our ongoing wrestle with our sin. And I don't know about you, but I feel tired, weary, collapsing, barely holding it together. Feels like I'm running up and down a metaphoric beach with a little bucket with holes in my hands, just trying to keep my parenting, my marriage, my heart, my journey following Christ, my, my life, my vision, this church in the back is saying, oh, is that enough? Am I enough? Am I doing enough? Well, I want to tell you what we're doing today is we're kicking off a, a series called The Good News for a Weary Soul. And we're wanting to put this idea that there is good news for you and I. I want to tell you what the good news, we use the word the gospel or good, the good news a lot in this church. And I, we want to plumb the depths a little bit of that reality because I think we can have a surface level understanding and at best it's just patching up a few of the holes. And we've made church in that reality. A Sunday comes as a top up and then we leak all week and we just feel like the water, we're carrying water. What are we doing? And we get to the end, we go, I don't have enough. Let me get back to church for a quick top up. And I want to tell you that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is ultimately the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. The gospel, the good news, is the declaration of what he has done and what has been done. It's not good advice or Christian good suggestions on what we must do, but ultimately a declaration of what he has done. Romans 1 verse 16 to 17 says it clearest. clearest. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the power. The Greek word is kratos. I don't know why, but I just love that word. It just sounds exciting, kratos. It is the power. It doesn't lead us to the power. It isn't the first step towards the power. No, it is the power. The simplicity of the good news of Jesus is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Everyone. Black, white, rich, poor, old, young, religious, non-religious, educated, uneducated, everyone, no matter where you find yourself on your seeking journey, whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, it's the good news for everyone in every season, for everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we wanna plumb the depths of this over the next five weeks and wanna put it in a sense, fuel our hearts with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray a deep, long-winded, heartfelt prayer. God, help us. Amen. So are you ready for some good news? You ready for some good news, people? Who's ready? Who's ready for some good news? First, let me take a selfie. No, let me, first, let me give you the bad news. The first thing is this. You are much worse than you think. It's a pleasure. In fact, let me tell you, underneath it, if we push away and we're able to spend some time and plug you into a monitor and have monitor your deepest thoughts, deepest, darkest secrets, can I tell you, you are terrible. Let me be honest, I'm terrible. We are more sinful than we first thought. If you don't, don't take my word for it, let's look at Scripture. This is what Scripture says about you. Are you ready to be encouraged? Romans 3, verse 10 to 12 says, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. 
I am encouraged this morning. (laughs) Romans 3 verse 23 says it this way, for all, 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 every single last one of us, for all have fallen short. And let me say, I've added in my Bible, when I think about Gabe Phillips, I go, way short. Not just tripping up at the last minute, oh, just didn't get there. No, have fallen short, way short of the glory of God. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, that's fine. I don't know what about you, Gabe, but let me tell you about me. I'm not that bad. I do good things. And maybe you're sitting here and you say, I can name some people who are way worse than me. And if they sing next to you, maintain eye contact. <laughs> Come on. We don't need to have fights in the, in the church today. Please, keep it here. But let me, let's just do a quick, uh, I grew up in Zimbabwe, learning every book in the Bible, I can tell you off by heart, the different books of the Bible, you know, you can start Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you can go all the way through, I'll save you time. That's what we did for fun, people, there was not much on. We also recited ad nauseum the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are something that can be taught to children, but also can be debated at the highest level of university. But let's be honest, on on just a, a quick reading of it, it's not complex ethics, it's Yes or no type reality. But let me ask the questions here. How many of you here, if we're honest, love at various times and in various ways, we love other things more than God? Anyone here? Idolaters. <laughs> Welcome to church. You are all idolaters. That's one guy. All right. Let's hope nine out of ten. Come on, let's go for it, guys. Is there anybody here who's lied before? And the people not putting up their hands are proving it by the negative. <laughs> All right, let's keep going, guys. Whoa. Have you liked, anyone here liked it when something bad happened to somebody that you thought deserved it? Wait, wait, wait. Maybe you got upset when something good happened to somebody who didn't deserve it. Welcome to the world of coveting. And then, you know what, let me tell you, the coveting, why is it so evil? It's actually because it's an accusation against God that his way of ruling and reigning isn't fair. And I can do it better. My judgment is better than yours. Anybody murder anybody lately? Didn't think I'd see many hands, but uh, you're welcome here if you did. Come chat afterwards. But here's the reality. Jesus says this. He says in in, in his retelling, he says, you've heard it said, do not not commit murder. He said, if you have harbored hatred in your heart, you are guilty, as guilty as someone who has stuck a knife into somebody's back, literally, and killed them. You are a murderer. Same thing to go with adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He says, if you've looked at a woman or if you've looked at a man with lust in your heart, you have committed the sin of adultery. Let me tell you guys, we, we all get zero on this thing. We get zero. This is not something that we are trying to pull up. Why? Because God is not after us to a moralistic tick box. He's saying, I want your heart. And if I don't have your heart, it's nothing. You are dead. You have nothing good inside of you. Galatians 3 verse 10 to 11 says it this way. It says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Not just that you fail, it says that actually you go backwards. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. So I say that and maybe... You think I'm here and uh, I'm going to be like trashing on the law and actually, well, then we can't do it, so give up on all of it. No, well, let me say, what is the purpose of the law then? 
Well, this past Friday, Fiona has had some, uh, some hip pain for a long time. We've been gone to physios, chiros. We've gone to biokinesis. We're just trying to work out what is this causing this pain. And eventually, we've bit the bullets, and we were instructed to go and get an MRI. The MRI was this long affair, 30, 40 minutes in the MRI uh, without a phone. Can you imagine? What, what, does, what do millennials do in 40 minutes on their own? Tell you guys, that might be hell for some of you people. Hey, let's be honest. <laughs> but, but this machine whirring and going and going to get a report. And let me tell you, we went to pay it. And yes, medical aid paid some, but there was a co-payment. And I was like, oh, co-payment. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm so glad. Oh, two minute noodles for lunch. <laughs> Costly, this big thing. But let me tell you, the MRI machine, how amazing it is. All it can do is point out what's wrong. It cannot offer a solution. And that is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show you what is wrong, where you fall short, but it cannot help you. It cannot lead you to life. It's the only thing, but it's perfect, it's glorious, and will not pass away, but it's there to say, you need help. I want to declare for you today, you're more sinful than you first thought. So what's the good news here? Well, let's read Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through to 28. This is the good news. It says, but now... God has shown us a way to be made right or to be justified with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Let me say it this way. We are more sinful than we first thought. But we are more loved than we could ever have imagined. And let me say it before I move on. When I say that, I don't want to make a trite and think, oh, wonderful. Because the gospel, I think, has been reduced to some soppy, unintellectual, moralistic, therapeutic deism where God says, you're not that bad. And it's a self-esteem, pick me up at church. You know, you're not, do, you're not doing too bad. Come on, just try a little bit harder. And it's almost like he's winking at us in like a cosmic tooth fairy. And we wonder why we're still enslaved and exhausted. It's because we've missed the power. The gospel, that we are more sinful than we first thought, and yet more loved than we ever imagined. This gospel of Jesus Christ is the power. If you want to be set free from the habitual sin, it's not a, a, another class. It's not a you saying, I'm going to sign up for this program. I'm not going to go to more counseling. None of those are evil, but they, those things are vehicles to push you back to the power. It's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And that's where we get to this first doctrine. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore some fundamental doctrine of what it means to be people of the good news. 
to, to build our lives on this, not just have them as addendums or, or add-ons, but this is the everything for us. And we want to make this plain. So I want to introduce you to the doctrine of justification. And the word justification basically means how God takes sinners and counts them as righteous. How God takes sinners like you and me, all who have fallen short, and says, but I've got a plan. And I want to make you righteous in my sight. You see, when we say the word justification, we get this idea of ourselves. We are all world-class justifiers. We justify our existence by saying different things. This is what I'm good at. We, this is what, we justify our habits. We justify our spending. We justify our racism. We justify our anger. Just this last week, let me tell you, I'm in the boat with you. The worst of the worst. I'm, my kids are not going to bed on time. They're causing havoc. And I go in there. I'm going to be the firm dad. And I've been there three, four times. And then I lose it. And my voice is raised. And I'm, I'm just, it's just chaos. And I'm like, that's it. No Christmas this year. <laughs> Birthdays are canceled. And then I go down and they're quiet. So I'm like fuming. I sit down next to Fiona. And she says to me, you spoke very angrily there to the kids. That was, that was terrifying. And what's the first thing that comes? Obviously, my wife's been to you. I should say, oh, love, you're so right. No, 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 no. I'm like, you never go in and correct them. I have to be the guy who goes in and shouts. And I start going huffing and puffing and telling her why she is wrong about my anger, that actually my anger is justified. And I'm preaching on justification this week. I've got my little bucket and the water's running out fast. <laughs> it's exhausting, but I want to tell you, he has shown us a way, the Bible says, to be made right, to be justified. And that word justification is a legal term. It's a courtroom analogy. It's the idea when, if you read through the book of Romans, the New Testament, where it talks about God, God justifying, the other word says he counts us as righteous. It's an accounting term saying the books are balancing. Not, not, not in the thing of that, you've done well, so I'll do this. He's saying, actually, you've done nothing, but actually there's a, ju a justice that is required, and I'm going to balance the books. It's the idea he reckons, he justifies, he declares us as righteous. And I want to explain the two legs of justification today. And the first one is when, to understand that you've been justified. Number one is to know that he has pardoned you. He has pardoned you. He's forgiven you. I want to tell you, first, he's forgiven us, number one, freely. In verse 21 of chapter 3 that we read, it says that, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed. From God. If you've got your Bible, underline that word from, 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 because our hearts will say, yes, thank you, but we want to keep going back to you, but the righteousness will be worked out by me, from me. It's got something, what, what am I bringing to the table? Let me tell you, absolutely nothing. It's a righteousness from God. In verse 22, he says, it's a righteousness by faith. This is the vehicle, the mechanism, not your works, not your abilities, not your good deeds. The Apostle Paul, and I have to ram this in my heart again and again and again because my heart, like a bowling ball, always goes to the gutter of good works and trying to please myself and justify myself and say, this is why I'm doing actually better than that person. But Paul, the Apostle Paul says this when he talks about our good deeds. He says, your good deeds to God, your best day, your most incredible day where you have served God and you've poured it out and you say, God, that is to my credit. He goes, that, that thing there, filthy rags. A more accurate description is a used tampon. 
That's how graphic it is. God says, that is how I have no use for that in this idea of justification. You see, this is the premise of every religion on the face of the planet. Judaism says there's 613 laws. 365 are negative, 248 are positive, and if you accomplish these, then you'll be able to move up, move up, move in. But Psalm 24 says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? No one. Islam says there's the five pillars of faith. You get to the end of your life and God will weigh your life based on your performance of these five pillars. The scales, will they be able to justify you in this moment? Your good will outweigh the bad. Buddhism says find the secret. Attain to some higher plane. Reach the state of nirvana. Hinduism says a soul is punished or rewarded based on its past actions or karma and that leads to positive or negative reincarnation. Secularism says you do you, boo. Reject anything that doesn't make you happy. Make sure people see and applaud your virtue on social media. Define your own truth, but God forbid if your truth impedes on my truth. And I also include the most forms of Christianity who parade around and say they preach the gospel. But in sense of preaching the gospel, they pray this sort of reality. They say, my true self who art inside me. Humanism is thy name. My happiness come. My pleasure be done in my life as I see it on Instagram. Give me today everything my heart can dream of and forgive me for ever thinking of others. Lead us not into repentance, but deliver us from true Christianity. You see, this is the reality. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee who is the model of virtue in that society, those people who are the closest to God and the tax collector on the antithesis are the ones furthest away, who will never be welcomed in. And he says the Pharisee comes in and prays this prayer. And nothing wrong with the prayer at its core level, if you think about it. He says, God, I thank you that I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. Thank you I'm not like the tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week and I tithe. He's listing all these things. But he tells Jesus, says, the, fer- the, the tax collector stood at a distance, beat his chest in sorrow, and prayed a prayer, have mercy on me, just a sinner. To which Jesus responds, I tell you, this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified by God. You see, I want to tell you, it's freely done because it's not a bartering system. In Zimbabwe, we, our economy just devalued to barter system again. If you've, got some, if you've got bread, I'll organize you petrol. And you have to work out some costs of what this equals that. And that system is exhausting, and yet we do it all the time. God, I will do the X if you do this for me, God. And, and I didn't do this, so maybe that's why God's holding out. It's like this, this exhausting the buck is empty and we're trying to, where can I go for some life, for some sustenance? But I want to tell you, all you offer in this story of salvation is your sin. He says, bring it to me. It's freely. Secondly, it's fully, fully justified. We are fully justified. Uh, we were at dinner the other night and I saw a couple who had been in our church for a while, an amazing family, and, uh, and something inside of me said, you know, why don't you go pay for their bill? And I was like, let's do it. I'm pumped. So I went and asked for their bill, and uh, as I'm getting the bill, then I'm talking to them, I suddenly realized that they're there also with their family from overseas. <laughs> but I'm in it now, eh? Like, whoa. And it's a half-price pizza nut. So I'm like, you know what? This is not going to be that bad, you know? It's five of them. Eh, works out the pizza, 40 rand, 45 rand a pizza. I, you know, we can take this one. Take this at Be generous. Come on, Gabe. This is cool. Then you get there, and you're going, no pizza, no pizza. They ordered calamari. I shared a pizza tonight. 
And I'm paying that bill, but I'm telling you, I'll be honest, the generosity went out, and now I'm like, oh, how do I get out of this without saving, saving face? But it's too late. The guy's like, wow, the wages, you're so generous. I'm like, oh, I am. <laughs> and, I, and I really did. I'm not even joking. I thought for a while, I thought, hey, listen, maybe I can say, hey, I'll pay for their drinks. They can pay for their mains. That's still nice. Nice to get free drinks. Or can they do the, the seafood options? Because that's ridiculous that they ordered seafood in an economy like this today. I really want to say, can they just put the seafood? I'll pay, for the, I'll pay for these things. We have played in the rules. And that's often what we think. And I want to tell you, no, no, no. The bill has been fully paid by him. Fully paid. Not even those, you know, that thing that you think is outside of, that, that debaucherous thing that you've done, you've, you've repented for a thousand times. And you're going, you know what? He has run out of grace for that thing. Fully paid. Fully paid. So much so that on the cross, Jesus said this when he died. He said, it is finished. The, the, the Greek term there was tetelestai. He yelled at tetelestai, which is the most bizarre thing to have yelled out from the cross for the heroes of the day. Because they wouldn't have heard that word tetelestai in the theological halls. They wouldn't have heard it in the synagogue where you know, this will understand our spiritual significance. No, that word tetelestai is a marketplace term. That when somebody owed a, a, a debt and then someone came and paid it, they would say, I'll go, hey, this, they'll do the numbers, paid in full, they'll go yell out, Tetelestai, the debt has been covered. This is a marketplace term, a, a, a justification, a reconciling of the debts, counting that this person has fully been paid for. Fully paid for, not leaking out at the bottom, not just weeks, or, you know, if I go a year, then we'll see what's next. No, God says fully paid. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, God made us alive with Christ, for he forgave us all our sins. And that word offends me, because I know some of your sins. I, if I'm honest, I know some of mine. That if you knew about, you'd be horrified that I was preaching. Things I've done in my past, things I've thought in my head. All sins. All, 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 past, present, future. Even the sins that you haven't thought about doing yet, he says covered fully. Oh, what a, what a God, what a God who's, who's gone before me. And even before I've tripped and fell, he said covered. Been forgiven, pardoned, freely, fully, and thirdly, forever. Forever. I, I, I think for a long time my Christianity was a glorified version of he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You know, get on a bit of a roll with my quiet time, with, the, with generosity, with, the, with, the, you know, with giving, with, with prayer. I'm like, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Then I have a week that's a shocker. Not, not, not. And I, I lived with this idea even though I knew the truth that almost that's the reality of I was responding differently to who he was because of my state of being. It's exhausting and debilitating. But I want to tell you, Romans 8, 33 to 44 says this, 34 says this. Who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. The book of Romans is leading up, chapter one, two, three, telling us our sinful state. It starts to remind, uh, uh, unveil this good news of justification and building up all the way to its crescendo. Chapter eight, verse one says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. We hit the Everest of the Himalayas. The highest point of the book of Romans is the declaration that there's no more condemnation. Let me remind us, the opposite of condemnation is justification. Because if we're not understanding justification, we are sinful. 
and the enemy has accusations against us. But when we step into the freely, fully, and forever reality of his grace, all accusations go silent. The enemy cannot lay a glove on you when you get this. So how does he do this? Romans 3, verse 24 to 25 says this. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life, shedding his blood. I've said this before, but we gotta get a revelation of this. That Jesus, the scripture tells us that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. I don't, no, I don't understand that scripture. I fully don't, I, don't I've, I think I know it, but I'm going, he's saying that before creation, before Genesis 1, in eternity past, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Which means that Christ died not primarily just in response to our sin. Oh, what do I do with this mess? Oh, gosh, gotta think of a plan. No, no, it was always in God's heart to raise up Christ as the only solution. The slain lamb, lamb of God, has always been the only hope. The Bible tells us that he was, this, this Jesus whom you crucified before your very eyes, yes, he died. It wasn't some ethereal, you know, God laid his down. No, he died. The God-man died in before people's very eyes in the present reality. And ultimately, the book of Revelation says at the very end, we will overcome, not by loud words and we made it. No, it said you'll overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of that testimony. Before it all was the blood. Your past there, the blood. Your very present reality, what you need for today, he says, is the blood. And he says, in the future, you'll overcome by the blood. This is the story. This is the simplicity, but yet the profound reality of the gospel. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We are more sinful than we first thought with more love than we could ever have imagined. My second and final point, but it's crucially that we have to get or the table falls down. It's number one, he pardons us, but he also perfects us. What I mean by that is he doesn't leave us morally neutral. This was the very essence, the, the, the article of, of, of faith and of the Reformation that hung on the balance where Martin Luther went and, and hammered his thesis against the, the, the Vatican door. This is the reality because they, they couldn't grasp this reality. When he said, I was looking at Romans 1:16 again and again and again until it leapt in his heart. That's by faith. That I get the very righteousness of God. What I mean by that is if he just forgave us, and that's where a lot of the gospel falls down, the one leg of the argument, we just only ever preach, you're forgiven. And we wonder why the bucket seems to keep leaking and we still feel exhausted and tired and I'm still struggling. Why? Because it's almost like that glorified version of that game show. Give him another chance. Give him another chance. And here's the reality. White clean, white, the slate wiped clean and God says, have another go. I'll fail again and again and again. You'll fail again and again. We'll just keep messing it up again. But Christ died once and for all. And here's the cycle that we have to break is this reality of we come into church, we confess, we receive the forgiveness, we try hard, we fail, so we fade away, we step back, we feel exhausted, then time goes, we start to get back to church and God, so we come back and we confess and it's this glorified version of penance. And it's exhausting. 
But here's the good news. The great news of the gospel is this. There's something called the great exchange. The doctrine word, doctrinal word is the word imputation. It's the, the, the second leg of justification that we must get. Romans 3.26 says this. He declares, he declares, he states as his fact that sinners to be righteous in his sight through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he, speaking about Christ, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here's an amazing thing. He doesn't just expunge our record of guilt. He puts us into credit. He doesn't just clear our record of guilt and say, done, forgiven, start again. He actually says, I'm gonna put you in credit. What I mean by that is that we get his, Jesus' perfect life of obedience on this earth, his perfect life of obedience is credited to us as if we lived it. Now that is shocking. That every time he said yes and I say no, I get his yes. Every time he said no when I would have said yes, I get his no. All his medals and trophies are ours. Christ's record becomes ours. The word justification, somebody once said, justification can mean just as if I never sinned, which is great. But let me tell you more accurately is this, justification means just as if I always obeyed perfectly. Because this is the imputation. Our sin was given to him. Christ, who knew no sin, was imputed. The sin of humanity, the second Adam, Christ, came and sin was put on him. The fullness of our sin was upon him. Imputed to him. Not because of what he has done. He had lived a perfect life. So he got what he didn't deserve. Likewise, imputation works, the great exchange. We who have lived a rotten life, we are more sinful than we first thought. We get imputed to us his perfect life. Oh, this is wonderful. You see, and for us, it's not just putting it on and then taking it off. I always thought that, I wrestled with that. That I saw righteousness as like a garment rather than a state of being. That actually I thought that, yes, I'm righteous in Christ. I put on the jacket and I'm righteous in Christ until I do something really disgusting. I think something very vile. I have that conversation that leaves me, I'm like, Yo, I just can't believe I just smeared someone's character like that. So I take off the righteousness for a while. And I, sorry, God, sorry, God. I'm useless, I'm useless, I'm useless. Until I can walk a little bit, sing a few songs, put it back on. I'm the righteousness of Christ based on my feelings and my actions. But the reality is not a garment. It's a state of being. It says he became sin. He just take it upon him and wear it briefly. He became sin. He became sin so that we could become his righteousness. Not just putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off, but becoming it, the very essence of who we are. The, the, the best way I can explain this is the, this narrative of if I'm uh, with Olivia and Benjamin, their room is messy, and I tell Olivia, I say, Olivia, before you go to school this morning, I want you to tidy your room. And if you do tidy your room, when you come back this afternoon, we can go watch a movie this evening at the, at the mall. She's like, that's awesome, Dad, so pumped. But in the rush, the chaos, she forgets about the room. She runs out, goes to school. Then she comes back from home. And when on the way back, I'm like, oh man, the room is messy. She's messed up this argument. She's messed up this, this plan I had of great parenting, 101. So I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna clean a room for her because I, I, I need a clean room. Can't operate with a messy room in our house. This is a chaos. So I clean the room for her. She walks to the door and as she walks through, she goes, oh. she remembers the, the agreement. Clean room equals movie. She's like, oh no, I've messed up. She's like, dad, dad, dad. She walks in, dad, 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 I'm so sorry. I forgot to clean the room. 
I'm so, so sorry I've cleaned the room. I forgot to do it. And that moment, I say to her, girl, I'm counting your apology, your heartfelt apology. There was no justification. No, like, Dad, you know, but I was so busy this morning that I needed to, you know, get my hair done and do my nails and the books. No, no, there's no justification. It's just, I'm sorry. I said, girl, I'm counting your apology as a clean room. Let's go to the movies. It's a metaphor that falls short because potentially bad parenting, yes. But, <laughs> but actually, it's so scandalous. We have to understand this reality that he did it and we get the benefits. And it does smack at our, our sense of justice, doesn't it? When you hear that, you're like, oh, come on. You can't clean the room for her. She needs to learn a lesson. But yet, and yet, maybe that works at that level. But I'm going, that's what we do with other people. Don't, don't. God, don't give them kindness yet. Not yet. They need to learn. They need to walk this journey out. We want to see it worked out. Fruit, give me fruit. Because that's not your job to demand fruit. It's the gospel's the power that produces the fruit. I love this, that because of this justification, we have peace with God. Because of this justification, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because of this justification, we can draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And this is the only way you can get free. The only way. I say it clearly and unapologetically. The only way you can be truly free of that addiction, that habit, that sin that grips your heart, that fear, that anxiety, that depression, that pain, the only way you can be truly free, the only way, I don't care what books you've read, who you've gone to see, what meds you're on, what, what habits you've changed, what January 1 decision you've made, I don't care. It will be, be a helpful, at best, it will be a helpful step forward, but if you trust in that, it's just a bucket with holes at the bottom. And you're going to get weary and exhausted and realize you fall flat again. The only way you can get free is understand this. I am the righteousness of God. Can you say that with me? Say, I am the righteousness of God. With some conviction, people. One more time. I. But you say, but, I, but I've been eating disorder. I've been vomiting. While you're vomiting, you are the righteousness of God. But I looked at porn again last night, Gabe. You are the righteousness of God. He doesn't step out the room. He doesn't remove his righteousness freely, fully, forever. But you're filled with racial hate. I tell you right now, you're full. You are the righteousness of God. What I'm saying here is him not winking at sin. Him saying, this is the power for you to get free from sin. You are more sinful than you first thought. But you're more loved than you could ever imagine. I land by saying this, everything in, 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 is fighting this in, our, in, in ourselves and in our culture, everything. Social media is built on this premise. Hide your sins, post your wins. I don't wanna see the real you, I just wanna see the great parent Gabe that you are. I don't wanna see a video of me screaming at my children. No one's gonna be watching that. I wanna see me laughing with a nice soundtrack. <laughs> Happy family, look at us, I'm a wonderful father. <laughs> But I'm telling you, it's, a, it's the poison that's in our hearts that's being revealed. It's the very, the thing that's in, our, in, in the very DNA of it, and it's bringing, you wonder why? Exhaustion, depression, depletion, people's suicide rates are the highest they've ever been because we've lifted up as the, the new Tower of Babel, this thing. Make a name for yourself! And it's destroying us. So I plead with you, stop drinking the poison. The desire for wealth will kill you. The desire for fame will kill you. 
the desire for respect, the desire for self-satisfaction will kill you. Lady Gaga, the great prophet of the early 2000s, once said, we live for the applause. We live for the applause, 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 applause. <laughs> live for the way they cheer and scream our name. Applause, applause, applause. And I go, I think she's right. We all want people to say, well done. We all want to be justified. So hide our sins, post our wins. We want people never to know the real us. But here's the incredible reality where Jesus says this. He says, true Christianity is post your sin. Hide your win. Bring your brokenness. Bring where you're flawed. That is the power of community. Imagine if we are a community said, actually, we're people who are going to bring our sin. And we're not going to live in our boasting and our self-justifying because even that on your best day is nothing. Filthy rags. I think it's one of the best ways to describe it as I asked V to come help us wrap up. Well, keep going. I told Fee I could preach on this all day. But a man named Alistair Begg told this narrative, a fictional but I think beautiful reality of the thief on the cross. He said he would, when he gets to heaven, there's two thieves next to Jesus and the one was condemned, one was called into paradise. He said, I would love to go and meet the thief who was invited into paradise because that thief, I want to ask him, how did this happen? How did you get here? How did you inherit this, all these promises? How are you in, in heaven, in paradise with Jesus? Because you're never baptized. You never joined a Bible study. You, right up to the very end, you're sinning until the very moment you turned and you looked upon him, Jesus. One minute you're cussing him out with a friend and then you made it. How did you make it? How? And he, he goes on and says, like I can imagine when the, that thief who died, one minute on the cross, next minute he's in paradise, in eternity. And the angel's there saying, what are you doing here? He'll answer, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He says, what, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. He says, okay, cool, cool, this is a bit confusing. Let me, let me get my supervisor. So the supervisor angel comes and says, okay, let's just chat a little bit. Tell me about your doctor, understanding of the doctrine of justification by faith. Tell, tell us about that. Imputation, right? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't get it. He says, okay, okay, cool. What about the doctrine of scripture? Have you, have you got a foundation? It's the word. I don't, know what, I don't even know what you're talking about. He starts to realize eventually the, the angels get so frustrated. They go, on what basis are you here? To which the thief replies, the man on the middle cross said I could come. So unfair. So, so shocking. And yet, it's the gospel. A man who is more sinful than he ever thought and yet more loved than he could ever imagine. This is why my greatest scripture in the Bible says this. We trust in God, the God who justifies the ungodly. God who credits righteousness to ungodly, who pardons freely, fully and forever who perfects freely, fully, and forever the ungodly. It's by grace alone. It's through faith alone. It's in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. I said one more time, you and I are more sinful than we first thought, and yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Can we stand to our feet? As we go on this journey together, anchoring our hearts, putting down the poison of self-justification, putting down the poison of desires for wealth, fame, success, happiness, things that we justify as good things, but at the root of it are the things that our identity is built on. We say, actually, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. As we put down the poison, as we put down the bucket, that exhausting, tiring bucket that depletes and runs out, 
And we say, Jesus, would you fill us? Forgive us and fill us. Thank you, Jesus, that we get a vision not of ourselves, not walking out of here with what must I do, not what needs to be done, but actually with a greater glimpse of the magnificence of Jesus Christ, the wonder of Jesus Christ. I declare there's only one way to the Father and it's through the Son. There's only one name that when it's spoken, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that He is Lord. Some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. He is the bright and morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the balm of Gilead. He's the Jew on Mount Hermon. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is prince of peace. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the second Adam, the mediator between God and man. He is our great high priest, the incarnate son of the most high. And he is the only one, the only one who can pardon and perfect sinners like you and me. We are, not under, we are unashamed of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for everyone and anyone who believes. And through it, it's a righteousness from God by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone that is revealed to us. In this moment, if you, like me, are saying, I want to surrender afresh to the good news of the gospel, allow the good news to be the power, the kratos, the life-changing power that shifts things, that shapes things, that moves things, that, that, that tells that mountain they'll never move, move, and in the moment moves. That satisfies me on my darkest day, that holds me in my weakest moment, that frees me from the darkest and the most depraved sin, that gives me hope in a world where I'm tired, I don't know what else to believe when my relationships are falling, but I, I hold on to that, I'm unashamed of this one thing. If that's you, lift your hands with me as an expression to God. Let's honor Him by lifting our hands and our hearts afresh. Father, right now, I thank You. Reveal Your Son, Jesus, to us. Reveal the sacrifice. We look upon You. We look upon You, the slain Lamb of God. Our parenting, our relationships, our working, our business, and ultimately, our walk with you, our joy with you, our salvation with you is found in no other place. And right now we root ourselves in that alone. I say one more time, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. every eye closed if you are here and you're saying I have been running and I'm tired I've been running from this Jesus I've been living in rebellion I've been pursuing my own things but today's a day when I've come to the end of myself and I say I need this good news not as a bandage not just as a plaster to keep me going for a little bit longer not as a pick me up but I'm saying I'm done and I want back in I want to come home I want to be counted as free I want to be washed by the blood I want to be forgiven freely, fully and forever. I want to be perfected and walk as the righteousness of God, not as a sinner, as a broken man, as a broken woman, as a vile debaucher, not as a, an angry 
broken person, I wanna come home to him today and say, I wanna receive this free gift of salvation. For the first time, or maybe for many years, you walked away and this is the moment, say, I'm coming home. If that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand. I wanna pray for you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for these hands going up. I thank you, God. They're symbolic, not of our strength, but of our weakness. We say, I'm done hiding my sins, posting my wins. I'm here saying, it's all laid bare so I can receive your win, your victory. So I thank you, Jesus, right now is this simple response. Pray by the Spirit of the living God, ignite hearts, reconcile them to the Father. Tell them, welcome home, son, daughter, washed clean, made right by the blood of Jesus. You are more sinful than you first thought, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. I thank you for the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.